So today we are covering a second last one of our Tough Question series. It's been great being along for the ride in this one. The Christian response to LGBT, and I realized that actually in my Tough Questions thing, I spelled it wrong anyway. LGB, I think I said LGBGT. Anyway, um, it's quite long. And so we want to answer the, um, the objection from many today that the Christians and the Christian group in general is just too harsh and too extreme when it comes to this. Now to start off with, some people might actually be asking, well, what does that stand for anyway? And why are you talking about in church? So it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. But recently after those letters were put in place, another Q was added where the Q stood for queer, and then another Q, so it was LGBTQQ, was added to stand for questioning individuals. That was then scrapped in recent months, and it's now LGBT+, because the extent to the number of ways people identify themselves is increasing so rapidly. So if you go to Facebook now, and you go and choose what gender, it used to be male, female, then it went to male, female other, and now it is male, female other, or another 69 different options that you can choose in terms of your sexual identity. Absolutely terrifying, and I'm certain that that is only going to increase in the world in which we live. And it's important to realize that this issue of sexual identity causes polarization regardless of our beliefs. So if you're here today and you're exploring faith, you're not a Christ follower, um, maybe this sort of causes um, uh, anger to rise, your blood pressure to rise just by me talking about it. Maybe it does if you're a Christian as well. But regardless of what you believe, this issue brings um, a huge amount of stress around the globe. Um, Sarah and I, one of our favorite shows is Survivor, the reality show. Any other Survivor fans here? A few of you, shame for the rest of you guys. Please can you leave now? Um, <laughs> you're missing out on life, guys. <laughs> so, Survivor Reality Show, um, it's, it's people going after a million bucks, they put on an island, there's different activities they have to go through, there's different conniving and lying and cheating and all those sorts of things, but all to get this brilliantly uplifting stuff. Um, but we love it. Uh, in 2017, there was a landmark tribal council, that's when a tribe comes together and one person is voted out. And uh, you can't see it amazingly clearly. I should have got the curtains closed. On the left there, um, there's a man called Jeff, and on the right, the far right, is a man called, can you remember his name? I've just forgotten. Um, Zeke. Okay, perfect. Zeke. Now, what happens is, is Zeke is transgender. And he's told this to one person in confidence on his tribe. And in the middle of a tribal council vote, to make sure that the guy on the left, people are sort of targeting him to get him out. And he suddenly thinks, well, I want to try and do something uh, last minute to, to try and get myself off the chopping block. So he just comes out and he says, hey, everyone, well, guess what? There's someone who's even more devious than anyone else on this tribe. There's a man called Zeke, and he is transgender. Boom. So he says this. That's the face of, um, of Jeff Probst, who's the, the host of it. And then that's the result. Jeff Probst made an executive decision. He canceled the vote. Never been done in 30, however many seasons from that point. And he said, well, actually, we're not going to vote. Jeff, get out. That's what he said. We're going to kick you out of the show. Now, I think actually it was ludicrous because how can you make a change in a show and a voting and remove someone on your own call because of something he said? So I think it's ludicrous on that. But the reason why I shared it is it shows how much of an issue this is. Because he came out 
in this hugely um, important thing of your sexual identity versus Zeke, where it's his choice to come out. This man was removed from the show. He lost his job as a result of it. He was booted from his job. And Survivor, Jeff Probst, had to go through all these interviews of why he made that call. They created a whole Survivor symbol with all the colors of the rainbow, which is the LGBT plus community. Massive issue. Nothing to do with Christ followers at all. An incredibly huge issue. Does anyone know who this is? Sam Smith, one of the top uh, musicians at the moment in BBC three years ago, three, not three years ago, three days ago. Um, so he's a chart-topping musician, many, many top tens. He came out and he said, I am now non-binary. That is my sex. That, mean, that means that he believes he is not male or female. So he came out and uh, he said this. This is what he said. He said, you're just you. You're a mixture of all different things. You are your own special creation. That's how I see it. I'm not male or female. I think I float somewhere in between. When I saw the word non-binary, I read into it and I heard these people speaking and I was like, that's me. So he's someone who doesn't need extra followers, he doesn't need extra publicity, he's got enough of it anyway, but he goes and he, he grapples with something, he says it like that. Some of you may know the controversial host, Piers Morgan, um, who is, is a host of a number of different shows, a very popular one, and in response to this, he said, well, I'm now choosing to be Sam Smith because I want all his royalties. <laughs> And this is where we have these issues of uh, 50-year-old men saying, no, but I identify as a six-year-old girl, so therefore I want to go to their toilets, and the list goes on. This is the society in which we live. A number of Birmingham schools in the last uh, week have shut down as parents are protesting the no outsider lessons which teach children about LGBT+. A pro-LGBT plus writer from the independent newspaper in the UK, one of the top newspapers, he says, to be clear, the No Outsiders project has nothing to do with sex education, but it merely informs all children of the existence of LGBT plus people. As part of this project, pupils are taught about the positive values of diversity, tolerance, and acceptance in a wide-ranging curriculum encompassing all LGBT plus rights, same-sex relationships, gender identity, race, and religion. And Ofsted have inspe inspectors have deemed the lessons appropriate, age appropriate. So this is from four or five years old. Uh, children are being taught that actually you need to encourage this, you need to embrace this. If you're a four-year-old child and you're sort of wondering, am I a guy, am I a girl, um, and you want to change and whatever else, the teachers can help you in this process. It's terrifying. So a number of parents, um, particularly from uh, the Islamic community in Birmingham, had shut down the schools on the basis. Closer to home, we would know um, the, the huge uh, cause and break out and fall out in our community um, of uh, one of the deputy heads at St. John's uh, making news headlines as a result of coming out. And so regardless of um, faith, this debate does cause blood pressure to rise. It causes people to polarize away from each other and to stop meaningful conversation. And so as we look at it today as a church, as harvest, and we look at what our response should be, I realize there's, that, there's at least five groups in this room of people, at least five, there may be others, but these are the five that I would try and hit on. First one, there's those who are exploring faith in this room who would feel that defining yourself as LGBT plus is wrong. So those exploring faith, not Christ followers, and you'd go, yes, but I still think that this is wrong and there's many in the society like that. There'd be those exploring faith who would not see any problem at all with someone taking that position. So some of you may be here, you may be visiting going, but I actually have no problem with it. People can choose, doesn't matter. Choose uh, what their sexual identity is and that's okay with me. 
Others, those who would say that they're Christ followers who are either pursuing an LGBT plus relationship or don't see anything wrong with it. So there's people who would say, I'm a Christian, I believe Jesus has saved me, but I'm pursuing a relationship or I'm in one or um, I don't see anything wrong with it. Fourthly, Christ followers who have a deep sense that identifying as LGBT plus is wrong but have desires for the opposite sex. So you're Christ follower here and you're going, but when I look at the Bible, and we're gonna look at that in a bit, I feel this is really wrong, but I have desires for the same sex, sorry. I have desires for the same sex, and I don't know what to do with those desires. And I know that's a very real thing. And then finally, Christ follows who are attracted to the opposite sex. Okay, so those are the five. There may be others, but those are the five that I want us to look at today. Okay, so my heart is that as we track through this today, we would look at this from a biblical perspective that each group would be able to leave today of those five groups, and uh, you'll be in one of those. Maybe there's another one that I've missed out, but I would imagine that you're in one of those. That each of those five groups would be able to leave here today, not necessarily agreeing with everything that I've said, but being able to go, this is what the Bible says, and this is the decision I'm gonna make on the back of it. So that's, that's my goal as I look at it today. Because each of us have a choice in life to, with, when it comes to the Bible, God's word, is either we place God's word under our feet, I won't stand or jump on it because I got in trouble for that at one church I was at. Um, so either we stand on it and we're the ones who decide. We're like, yeah, that's fine. That's God's word, but actually I stand above it, and the things I don't like, I cancel. The things I do like, I embrace, but I make the course. Or God's word is above us, and his word is what we count as truth, and we take it. And we may not understand all of it, all of it might not make sense, but we go, God, you're God and I'm not, so I take what you have to say. So we're in different positions, but I'm gonna be going from the part on top of our heads, where I really do believe without a shadow of a doubt that all scripture is God-breathed, all of it, that it is useful for teaching, it is useful for encouraging, it is useful for challenging, and it's what we do build our lives on. So first one, what does the Bible say? I, I like the amen, well done. Perfect, so we're gonna dive into it. It's obvious to me that you have tomato sauce with French toast. It's obvious. You don't have anything else on it. That's how it was biblically created. And all I did growing up, that's how it was. I went on a camp when I was a teenager and I had these people who clearly weren't following God, absolutely demented people, squeezing syrup all over it. Then they'd put bacon on top. Then they'd put tomato sauce as well. Someone would put peanut butter on. It's just disgusting stuff. People who clearly aren't following the Lord. And uh, I, I still try to, to work them into God's ways as a result. <laughs> But that's because that was my upbringing. My upbringing was, maybe it's because my mom didn't believe in sugar or something like that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, mom, but anyway, we, tomato sauce has more sugar than syrup, so. Anyway, so what I wanna say to that story is that our upbringing has a massive effect on the way in which we see the world. Massive effect. It may be biblical, it may not, but either way, what we learned growing up, what we saw our parents do, the society and circles in which we've lived, what we've read, what we've seen, what we've watched, has a huge effect on our outlook in the life. It may not necessarily be right or wrong, in the tomato sauce case, it's wrong for everyone who's not tomato sauce, but it can have a profound impact. And in some cases, these things aren't important, but in others they are. For example, children don't grow up to be racist. Sarah and I talk about this a lot. Children do not see color. They don't. They do not see color. We teach it to them. That's what we do as parents. We teach it to them. They do not see it. You put a two-year-old or a bunch of two-year-olds in a room or, or even younger than that, they play. 
they're the same. They're on the level playing field and then we teach them things that are not godly about the people that they hang out with. We do it. So some things can be very dangerous when it comes to what is taught and from understanding. When it comes to this debate, we need to approach the subject realizing that our past, realizing that our upbringing, realizing that the nation in which we live, realizing that the books that we've read, the things that we've watched, our faith backgrounds and our experiences can have a huge impact on this subject. We need to be aware of that. Before we dive into the Bible, be aware of that. So we need to set all those aside today and we need to look at scripture and apply correct biblical interpretation, let God speak. So I'm gonna look at two, the first, um, what does the Bible say? So there's a number of different ones. Paul talking in Romans 1, he's gone into God's um, glory, he's gone into the issues in the world in which we live and people not following him. And this is what he says, verse 24. Therefore, these people who weren't following God, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of, a God, truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what, what has been created instead of the creator who's praised forever, amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women, were inflamed in, um, in their lust for for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. Okay, so that's one passage which speaks clearly into um, same-sex desires, but further than desires, into action. We're gonna talk about the difference between desire and action in a short bit. Then the next big passage on this, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that in depth in a short bit. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so we can clearly see, I would hope from reading there, that the Bible, that God's word has an issue with acting out in terms of homosexuality, LGBT+, and the list could go on. And this would affirm the beliefs of both explorers of, um, okay, so sorry. So we can clearly see that the Bible's position um, in identifying as LGBT is wrong. Very clear to see in that process. And this would affirm the beliefs of both explorers of faith who believe it's wrong and those in part four and five who um, also would say, we think that this is wrong. So that affirms a few of those categories there. This would also give some clarity to you if you're in group three, if you would call yourself a Christ follower but don't see anything wrong with it. So this would be a change in your mind to go, okay, I'm a Christ follower, I came in here going, there's nothing wrong with it. I read those passages, there's clearly something wrong in God's perspective. That would help you in this process. So when it comes to God's heart on the matter, it's clear. But now it's important for us to go down to the why. We look at the what, what does the Bible say? But why would God say that? Why would there be an issue? Why would he be concerned about this? So we drill down a little bit further. Why does he even say that? And for this, I'll take us back to Genesis. Right at the start, there's many other things that talk into this, but I would say this is a very, very helpful part. This is what it says. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him, a helper um, completing him. 
The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky, brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. So if you don't like the name of an animal, blame Adam. Okay. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal for the man. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. You see that word corresponding again about someone who fits together in all areas. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. He slept. God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why, so you catch God's flow, he's talking about creation, and then immediately from creation of two people different, he flows into, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Very healthy guideline into God's creative order of sexuality. So it's important that we understand that God is the one who creates our sexuality. We don't choose it, we don't decide on it, he does. God decides on it according to scripture. He defines male, he defines female. God created our sexual organs as they are in the way that they are in a complementary manner for male and female. We don't decide what we are based on feeling, based on upbringing, based on what people say. It's on what God says because he is the creator. People may argue that God could have made another man as a helper. They could say, well, yes, there's other passages, but if you look at the Old Testament, you know, it could have been Adam and Steve. He did make Eve, but that was just what he decided now, but later on he could have created others. He doesn't really have the biggest issue in the process. Although, as I would say, that goes completely in the face of Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and a number of other passages where it's very clear God's perspective on it. We'll look at those passages a bit in depth. So this is really helpful for all groups, but particularly again for group three who don't see anything out of alignment with same-sex sex attraction. This passage gives a healthy starting point to God's creative work and his design. So for you again coming in going, I don't see anything wrong with it, Genesis 1 sets the stage again for a healthy perspective on that. So we have the what, we have the why. God's saying, well actually because I created you different for a reason, I created you different to correspond to each other, to complement each other, I created you in my own image and uh, on top of all of that sexual pleasure and everything else I created you so that actually it's possible for you to multiply on the earth and bring glory in that way as well so that's the what that's the why now I want to look at two key things um, as we get towards the end the first one what do I do with my same-sex attraction what do I do with it second one how do I respond if I don't have that to both people who are within the church walls and people who are without as well. So first one, what do I do with my same-sex attraction? The reason I say that is because um, there's actually a large number of men, and I would imagine women as well, who do struggle in this area. Over the many years of youth ministry and the camps that I've been on, I've had many conversations with men at many of the high schools around this country who struggle in this area. And I imagine it's similar for ladies as well. So this is not something foreign, this is something that a number of people do deal with. They've deeply desired for change in this area. They've asked God, why am I made this way? They've come in tears going, how can I get rid of this? I've had many conversations over the years and they've lived with much shame. It's been devastating and it's been humbling to come, aside, come alongside these amazing men who are sold out for God, who want to live for his glory, but who are struggling in this area. And I have no doubt that there's ladies in the same boat. No doubt, and I've heard stories of that. 
So what do you do if you're in that position? What do you do if you're in that position today here? What do you do um, in that process? Well, firstly, realize that no matter what society has said to you, how it's encouraged, how it's uplifted, how you're challenged to embrace it, this is who God made you to be, just embrace it, embrace this attraction. God gives us a very clear standpoint as we've seen in scripture. So first one, know that no matter what society has said, you know what God says in terms of those attractions not being healthy, not being correct. Second one, if you're a Christ follower, know that your struggle in no way erodes your identity as a son or daughter of Christ. In no way. In no way does it erode who you are in Jesus Christ as a follower of him. That's never in question. Sam Albury, um, a Christian pastor, he writes for Gospel Coalition. He's been on Desiring God a number of times. He uh, speaks and works with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Recently he was interviewed. This is what he said, very interesting. As a Christian, one of the key things for me is realizing that identity as Christians is not something that we discover in ourselves, nor is it something we create. It is something we receive and are given by the only person who can know our actual identity, which is the God who made us. So my identity as a Christian comes from the fact that I've been created by God and redeemed by him through the saving work of Jesus. He's a man who struggles with same-sex attraction. So this is where I need to have a different understanding than the culture in which I live, he lives in England. Our culture says you are your sexuality, that the sexual feelings that you have are the most of you, that is the real you. For me, that is not the case at all. I wanna use language that can describe an aspect of what is happening in my life at the moment, but which doesn't imply that this is what defines me or what is at the center and heart of who I am. The language of same-sex attraction perhaps is less familiar to people outside of Christian circles. It's a bit more clunky, but I think it's less prone to being misunderstood. I use it because I don't want to imply that a particular set of sexual temptation is where I see who I am. It's not the lens through which I understand myself. That is why I tend to use the language of being same-sex attracted. So thirdly, while Sam has come to a place of accepting, living with this, wanting to be free from it, but following Jesus and pursuing Jesus in the process and staying pure in that process, I wanna say that I know, I take it a step further from what Sam has said, and I would say that I know that God is actually able to bring transformation of his sexual desires. So whilst he's going, I'm living for purity, and he is, he's pastoring at a church, um, he's involved in many different circles, he speaks on this, and he is a massive advocate for godly marriage. He will be the first person to stand and say, the only case for marriage is a man and a woman. With these sorts of attractions that I have, I know that that that's not gonna be the process, but he's, the, he's the, the greatest advocate. In fact, he was very recently in a, in a tribunal with Church of England, everyone else saying, but we need to push through same-sex marriage. He was one of the key advocates speaking in it, saying no ways, because that is what marriage is. But I would take his arguments a step further, and I would say, actually, Sam, and to others here, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit can bring supernatural transformation to those desires. Society would say, embrace it, this is who you are, you're born that way, I'd say God can transform it. And interestingly enough, in a survey as recent as 2015, the American Psychiatric Association made the statement. It said some people believe that sex sexual orientation is innate and fixed. However, sexual orientation develops over a person's lifetime. So this is a non-Christian organization, the lead ones in terms of mental functioning, and they're saying there's actually no nature cause that we can see in science. There's nothing that we can say, uh, see to say that you are born this way. 
None at all. They actually move to saying something that's developed over your lifetime through experiences. So whilst we don't know why some experience same-sex attraction, there's no scientific proof that you can be born that way at present. Putting that aside, whilst I was at university, there was a man who came to speak. This man was hilarious, he was brilliant. Um, he was a man who had lived homosexual lifestyle for eight years in California. Um, prostitution among a huge amount of it, um, contracted AIDS as a result, um, was on retrovirals, and uh, on a friend inviting him to church one day, he gave his life to Christ, and he saw um, his feelings and his desires absolutely disappear. He stood there sharing with us um, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who um, uh, was married, four children, and he tells this funny story of in Southern California, there was a type of Fiat with a flip top that was the one that all of the homosexual guys drove. And he said that one day he was walking down with uh, his little son who was like three and a half, four years old, and his son was like pointed to one of these cars. He was like, Daddy, that's such a cool car. He was like, you will never drive that car, son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what he shared on and it's where I would take it a step further from Sam's and I know that Sam's following Jesus and he's all out for Jesus and he's honoring Jesus in the process but I take it a step further to say but I've heard stories and not just his I've, I've heard in the, in the circles that I've been in youth wise of guys experiencing God's absolute transformation to say it's actually changed and I feel like I have the healthy desire for ladies I still need to act in purity but I feel like God's given me those desires that's third. Fourthly, being attracted to the same sex and acting out those feelings in your mind or reality is not the ultimate sin above all sins. There's no doubt that sexual sin has a profound impact on us, partly because as Romans 1 says, um, when God gave them up, they, they, they gave it up to them, themselves, and there was a destruction internally, almost an idolatry of themselves, but in a weird, twisted way. A broken sense of that, that's, that's the giving up for same-sex attraction. But it falls in the same category as sin in general. So the parts that I missed, sorry, in terms of identity, and I, I do want you to get this and then I'll come back to what I shared, is if you are someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction, um, I'm sorry that I missed this, is when it comes to identity in Christ as a Christ follower, this is incredible. Um, verse um, five, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our tr- trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in, um, in the heavens in Jesus Christ. And what Ephesians is talking about is they're saying when you're a Christ follower, in a sense you're with Jesus already but he's in your heart now and, it's, and, and that can happen regardless of where you struggle in terms of your sexual identity John 1, um, uh, 12 to 13 um, for all those who receive Jesus he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name so if you're someone struggling with same sex attraction but you know without a shadow of a doubt you've given your life to Christ your identity as a Christ follower is never in question it's not in question but what do you do with those feelings that you experience You're a new creation. Okay. It's not the sin above all sins. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now look at what people practicing homosexuality is classified with and together. Sexually immoral. People who have idolatry, idolize money, idolize things, idolize possession, idolize our bank accounts, nor adulterers. That's obviously, um, he's splitting it up, so that's male, female. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, people who have stolen, nor people who are greedy. 
I don't know about you, I think we can all be in this to something. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, none will inherit the kingdom of God. So this passage is not talking about sin in our life that we're battling against and saying, God, help me to break free from. This is talking about people who embrace it as good. So when it's talking about you can't inherit the kingdom of God, can't live with God now and be in heaven for all eternity, if I looked at that, I'd be like, well, I've definitely been greedy before. Definitely been an idolater before. So am I, am I not going to heaven anymore, God? Does that mean that because of that, I'm not, I'm not going to heaven? That's not what Paul's getting at in the passage. What he's getting at, if you embrace this as good, rather than as something that's an issue in your life, it proves that Jesus hasn't transformed you. So if I'm sitting there going, idolatry is great, adultery is amazing, I'm gonna practice homosexuality, and it's good, it's great, I'm gonna do this thing, and I just love greed, it's brilliant, God has no issues with greed, and I love getting hammered every Friday and Saturday. God doesn't matter, I love Jesus, it's incredible, and then I get wasted, well, that proves that maybe there's a question mark as to whether Jesus has changed your heart on the inside. Because what he's talking about there is that we may do those things. Maybe you do struggle when it comes to alcohol, and once in a while you've slipped up. But when you do, you're just like, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry, please help me. Please help me, I wanna be free from this alcoholism, I wanna pursue you. Maybe you struggled with greed, and you struggle with things, and your bank account is what drives you, and the latest car drives you, and building up your wealth drives you. Well, it doesn't mean that you're not gonna be in heaven with Jesus. If you're sitting there going, Lord, please help me to break free from my greed. Help me to break free from my idolatry. So it's important for you and I to notice. So that's what do we do with the same-sex attraction. So we've looked at that. If you're a Christ follower struggling with same-sex attraction, your struggle for purity is the same as someone with heterosexual desires. Same battle for God's purity. Importantly as well, Sam Albury has been key in the UK in this, which I just shared on, is there's no debate on God's marriage design between man and woman. Sam would be the first to say, as I said, that homosexual marriage and homosexual relationships is not an option at all. It's not on the table, and that God's perspective needs to be upheld. So if you're a man or a woman here today, and you struggle with same-sex attraction, what you have to know before you leave these walls, what you have to know sitting right here today, is please know that God is for you. Please know that he is with you. Please know that he is at work in your life, that he can bring break, breakthrough, and that we collectively are here to support you. Please know that our church will always have an open door for you. And as I've said, I've walked this journey with a number of young men struggling. They're sold out for Jesus Christ. They're pursuing him. They're wanting to walk in sexual purity, and they're trusting him for breakthrough. So if you're a Christ follower here today, and you're going, please, I want to be free from this, just know that we're there, we're there as a support to see God work in your life. So that brings me on to the last point. How do we respond to people who object to the Christian position? How do we respond out and about in society, maybe within these walls? Well, firstly, we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. If we speak the love without truth, we fail. If we speak truth without love, we fail. Ephesians talks about it, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So we grow closer to Jesus by speaking the truth in love. And then obviously we can jump to the key passage. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything I have, um, if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And it goes, love is patient, it's kind, 
does not envy, and in these conversations you need to be patient, you need to be kind. It's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's humble, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things for change in people's lives, it hopes for all things for transformation in society, and it endures all things. So this means when it comes to these conversations that we're kind, that we're thoughtful, that we're loving, but we're not afraid to share what scripture says. And so secondly, know that these conversations will bring strong strong objections. Same as the others we've covered in the Tough Question series, know that they will bring strong objections and we need to always point to Christ as the key thing we care about. It's so easy for these debates to turn people away from the key thing to turn people away from the most important thing. I'm journeying with a number of amazing people on the Alpha course, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. People who don't know Jesus yet and are very happy to say that and we're having great conversations. Just saying, Lord Jesus, let's dive into this. Let's work out who you are. And I continue to say to them, the key is Jesus Christ. What do you think about him? Did he rise from the dead? Is he who he said he was? If he did, you can trust him. If he did, you can trust his word. Don't let other issues like this become something that keeps you from approaching him. Approach him first, find out who he is, then look at these issues on the back of that. So if you're told that you're homophobic or you're ripped apart for these sorts of beliefs and I've been called many horrible things as a result of my stand on this, no matter how loving I've tried to be, um, you get torn apart if you make these sorts of statements. But no matter how loving you try to be, this will bring objection. And Jesus said that if they persecuted him, they will persecute you. And we need to understand this is a spiritual battle. But the weapons we fight with are love and truth, not animosity. Those are the weapons we fight with. So there's a helpful things in conversation. Then final ones, which is inward challenges. Make sure there's no judgmental attitude within you. We looked at this in our tough questions about uh, being judgmental and the issues with that. We need to have a love for people regardless of their position on this. It's very easy to, um, uh, to come back to a position of being judgmental and that's why we covered it as a tough question. But just as we looked at in 1 Corinthians 6 in that passage, there's any number of sin that applies to each one of us. Any number of issues that applies to every one of us. And we only become judgmental when we think we're pretty close to perfect. It's the only time. The only time that we become judgmental of others is when we look at ourselves and we think, I'm pretty amazing. It's because we're not looking at Jesus Christ. When we start to look at him, we just realize our need of him. And then make sure there's no hypocrisy in your life in this area of sexual attraction. Because if you have heterosexual attraction, just ensure that you're walking in purity and you're pursuing Christ in this area of your life as well. It's easy to point fingers and say, but those people are struggling with same-sex attraction and well, that's such a big issue. Yes, it's an issue. Yes, we want God to bring transformation. But how's purity in your life? How's purity in your life? Let's just make sure there isn't hypocrisy in those areas. Should we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person in this room and I thank you for the different positions that we've been in. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are so very clear on this issue in your word. You're so clear on the identity that you've given each of us as man or woman and you're so clear on how that identity should outwork in terms of relationships. Thank you that you don't leave it to guesswork but you're very clear. Thank you that you have incredible reasons for creating us why you do, reasons for your glory, 
reasons for our good, reasons for the extension of your kingdom on earth, and many others. And those are good reasons. I pray for people here in this room who have previously, maybe, maybe you're here and you're exploring faith and you've never had an issue with this. Maybe you are within these walls and you don't have an issue with this. I just ask, Lord Jesus, that as we've looked at your truth and your word as truth, that we take it for what it is, you'd help us to transform any thinking that we've had that is incorrect. I pray for those of us here who struggle in this area, who are, who are Christ followers, who love you dearly, Lord, but struggle in this area of same-sex attraction. And Father, I thank you that in stories I've seen with, with men that I've, I've, um, I've counseled over the years, as well as the man at university and as well as many others, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're a God who can transform every part of us, even the parts we think are impossible. And so I pray for people um, who are struggling in that area today, that they would feel nothing but your love for them as Christ follows, they'd feel that their identity is not under threat as Christ follows, but that right now even in this moment, they would experience a transformation, that they would experience um, your, your creative order and design, that they would experience repair of anything broken in past or in experience that they've had, anything that would lead in that direction that they would know your love, that they would have courage to, um, to speak to others and, and to not walk this journey alone. And that in the process, they would experience a fullness and a closeness of what it means to be a son or a daughter of the king. And finally, Lord Jesus, for those of us who would say, well, this isn't an issue for us. We, we obviously have to deal with it in society, but we, we don't feel in terms of our makeup, there's, there's sort of any, any confusion there. I ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people, that we would be a church who are radically loving and who are radically truthful. I ask that you would save us from hypocrisy. I ask that you would keep us far away from being judgmental, that we would be people who overflow with love. I ask you would forgive us right now in this moment, that you'd completely forgive us, Lord Jesus, if we've looked on people um, in that LGBT plus community, if we've looked down upon them in any way. Please forgive us, Lord Jesus, of that. But I ask that in conversations going forward in the weeks and the months ahead, Lord, that we would be so full of your grace, we would be so full of your love, but we would be so full of your truth, and actually as a result of these conversations, that we would see many amongst us, work colleagues, family members, friends, acquaintances, come to faith as your Holy Spirit flows through us as we speak. Thank you for being able to cover these topics. Thank you that these are the places we should talk about these topics. And uh, I ask that we would have an amazing um, Uh, we'd have an amazing rest of the day, that we would walk with you, that we would meet people that we don't know, that we would be loving, um, and that we would be lights in a dark world. Your name we pray. Amen.